Welcome to the Peace Over Pieces podcast, hosted by Clara Baldwin. Peace Over Pieces is a nonprofit domestic violence organization creating podcasts with victims while providing donations, hotline information, and resources. If you or anyone you know is in need of financial or emotional assistance related to domestic abuse, please visit our website for contact information. Now, without further ado, please enjoy the next episode. Our next podcast guest, Kelsey Matthews, is a singer, actress, and wears many other hats in Hollywood. She also wears a domestic violence survivor title the most proudly. She uses her platform to share her story to help others like her bring awareness, but overall try to make a change. Welcoming Kelsey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm doing lovely. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so glad we finally linked up. It's been quite a process to get here. So yeah, I want to start out the podcast a little light with a simple question of how's your week been? Um, Could you give us a highlight and low light of your week? Highlight of the week, I got injured on set like a couple years ago and I've been on on crutches since. And yesterday was my first time walking without crutches in two years. So that was the highlight. No way. I was working and... It's so dumb, but my foot got stuck between a weight and a sandbag and my foot stayed straight, but my leg twisted and I ended up tearing a bunch of things. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's horrible. I have never broken anything, so I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was not the most fun. It's a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume so. Yeah, for sure. But glad you're walking again. That's amazing. So let's just start a little bit about you. Do you mind sharing a little intro about yourself? Sure. So a little about me is I'm from a mixed race background. My mom's Irish and Scottish. My dad's Black Indigenous. So you can imagine growing up how (laughs) interesting that was being a little redhead stepchild looking. But yeah, so I pretty strong in my Irish heritage and grew up, you know, learning all about that and also my dad's background. But I moved all around the States. My parents were teachers and we lived on a reservation for a while and in New Mexico, Colorado, Utah. I've been everywhere. I work in entertainment now and I've been doing living in LA for like the last 10 years. I've been working in film and TV for the last 12 years, but I grew up in theater. So my parents went theater in college. It's like a long silly story but my parents I will say were abusive growing up though so as you know growing up in an abusive household you kind of are attracted to that and that's all you know so adulthood has not been the easiest with relationship wise absolutely I see well that's amazing that you're in acting and theater that's definitely a realm that I have never been in so that's pretty cool that you're there where are you located again I am in Los Angeles California yeah no that's amazing um very cool I've been to LA a couple times it's an amazing city but yeah thank you for sharing that little snippet about growing up I definitely can relate and there's obviously a reason you're here so answer these questions at your own comfort level of course but we can just begin a little bit about your abuse situation in the past and you mentioned a little bit about it that it's your parents but can you let us know when it began and what were the first red flags or the first abuse situation that you came across if you can remember um so with my parents my father had congestive heart failure when I was in first grade at my younger brother's kindergarten graduation literally at the graduation because he was ex-military and got injured and then caused pressure on his heart and when he had, like, I was a daddy's girl before that, very close to him. But after that, there was like a switch change with all the medication they put him on. 
And I think it like brought up a lot of his past triggers and everything because he was abused as a child and my mom was a little bit too. So I feel like their trauma was passed on to me. And uh, my brothers, I have three brothers and I'm the only girl out of four. So I, and it was a very misogynistic household. So like the first real abusive thing I remember is just like my dad would pin me in corners. He's a very large man. He would pin me in corners with his stomach and push me into corners and scream in my face, telling me I was worthless and, you know, just start devaluing me. But then like the physical aspects got worse and worse as I got older. Like I had to do all the house chores. I was pretty much like a Cinderella and it got worse and worse as I got older. But in high school, my older sibling, my older brother, he passed away my freshman year. And he was kind of like my protector. He would step in, like my dad would try to push my brothers against me. And he would step in in between my dad and I, and he would like act like he was gonna, you know, be verbally abusive or physically abusive. But then when my dad wasn't around, we were like best friends. And he would explain to me that he was doing this because it was the only way he could protect me. And I mean, he was pretty protective, like in school and everything. But when he died, I didn't have that protection anymore. And my dad actually made the comment, I wish it was you. It'd be a lot easier if it was you. And then my other younger sibling, who's 21 months younger than me, he told me that it was my fault. It was all my fault. I did it. So, you know, I was carrying this burden that everything was always my fault my entire life. But when that happened, it got worse. The abuse got worse. And my mom worked all the time because my dad became disabled when I was in high school because he had ended up having like six congestive heart failures and three heart attacks. And he had like a pacemaker and defibrillator and everything. It got to the point my dad was, he actually was taking the oxygen cord for his oxygen. He was on 24 seven and whipping me with it. And I would have whelps on my legs. It looked like snakes all over my legs. And I was doing a dress rehearsal in theater for a show we were doing and a girl saw the whelps and she turned it into a counselor and then they called social services. And when social services came, I was sent to my room while they talked and everyone, like my dad had done all the talking, but the rest of the family was in there. And he told him I was a pathological liar, that I was self-inflicting for, you know, attention, all these things. And they left. They didn't speak to me at all. They told him to take me to therapy then. He went to take me to therapy because that was their mandatory thing. He had to take me therapy then. So me therapy, he would sit outside the door and listen. And if I said anything he didn't like, then when I got home, I got worse. And finally, spring break of my sophomore year, it had hit. It was like a year after my brother died. It hit like the, you know, maximum breaking point. And my mom was at school, like she was a teacher still. So she was at the school and my dad's brother um, was in town with his mother and his mother has never liked me because I look like my mom. So that's a whole thing too. <laughs> Love my brothers, but hated me. And then his brother had brought her, cause she had a stroke, he had brought her to pretty much dump her on us with his daughters. And even though my mom told him it was not a good time, like things were really elevated and escalated in the house. And anyway, I it's so silly, um, but I did Air Force J. Rotsi, um, cause my older brother, he got pre-accepted to the Air Force Academy the weekend before he passed away. So I did Jay Rossi as like a, you know, memory of him kind of thing, but I wanted to do like the bare minimum. But I ended up that day getting promoted to a second lieutenant position. And I was telling my dad, because my dad was, you know, ex-Air Force. And my other younger brother, he did not get promoted. And we're in two different 
classes and such. But my dad kept saying, well, he should have got it. You shouldn't have got it. I'm like, we're not in the same like flights. That's not how it works. He goes, but it doesn't matter. He should have got it. Like just very misogynistic. Anyway, I was seeing this at the kitchen table. My uncle had left to go get my mother and um, we're at the table. We're eating dinner and he like would smack my hand if I put my hand on the table. He took my food away from me. And then it progressed where like I wasn't allowed to eat and he was yelling at me about this and it was just, it made no sense at all. And then he grabbed me by my hair and his thing was he'd always grab me. I had my hair constantly in a bun because I have really long curly hair and I didn't know how to like style it back then as a tomboy, <laughs> but he grabbed me by my bun and we had like this A-frame house and he held me over the balcony by my bun threatening to drop me from the second story. And my mom walked in right then and she goes, Daryl Glenn Matthews, who put her down right now. And it was almost like, you know, the beast being the beast, like the eyes and the beast changing when Belle confronts him. That's that's kind of how I related that situation to my father because it was like a switch in his eyes. Like it was almost like he was hollow. And then like all of a sudden the life came back to him when she walked in. So he put me down and she told me to get my things and we were leaving and we left. And the dynamics with that were escalated too because my dad blamed me for them, you know, my mom leaving him. And he even made the comment, you know, like send her to go live with your parents so we could be a family again, things like that. But I mean, overall though, my mom, she ended up kicking me out when I was like 17 for a parent of a student of hers that she ended up hitting it off with. And so, so she kicked me out when I was 17. I moved in with my best friend's family. And then, and that was another abusive situation too. They were Mormon and I dated a boy that wasn't Mormon. And so I was kicked out. So very, you know, just feeling like I never fit in anywhere was the constant feeling growing up. But then my dad and I, we had mended things at that point. He had apologized and he was doing better. And so he ended up moving in with me and he didn't have a car. So he'd always brought home my car and stuff, but like everything was okay for a while. I was taking care of him. You were taking care of your dad after all of that. That's insane. Exactly. And after all that, I still ended up taking care of him. And I actually took care of him until he passed away. And he uh, left me the executor of his estate too. And um, I spent the last three days with him in the hospital and I never left his side and like held his hand until his last breath and everything and told him it was okay. I loved him. He's okay to go. And that was an experience too. Because again, my younger brother blamed me for that. <laughs> right. I'm just so in shock right now. I... Honestly, like this story out of any interview I've ever done resonates with me the closest. Um, I feel like we have the same exact story and it's freaking me out. It's weird how that happens, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all the stories that come on here, I mean, they're similar like in emotions where I can relate, but this is almost the exact situation where it was my father and just the little things you've touched on, like how people were blaming you, like he was blaming me and he thought that I looked like my mom. So he took things out on me and he was super abusive. And your note about how his eyes went hollow, like my dad's did that as well. It was like a switch and there was no stopping it. Almost like a when someone gets drunk and blacked out, except like emotionally they black out. They don't, they're not even a person. It's just like so scary. But yeah, I've never heard anyone say that. And so it's really shaking me up. I'm just like, I have never had anyone relate on that level. So I am so sorry for all of this and everything you've been through. You're so strong. And I'm looking up to you in this moment because I am very stubborn and I have not spoke to my dad in years. But the fact that you 
are the bigger person and you took care of him after everything that you've been through. That is super inspiring. And I just, I can't wrap my head around how you did it. You know, honestly, I feel like the reason I was able to, and I think it's because I hadn't healed a lot of myself either. So I was still seeking his approval a lot because, you know, going through, um, all you want is approval of your parents and their love and acceptance. And like, I didn't get that until like an hour before he passed because he was in and out of coherency. He was like reaching up toward the light. And he actually told me, he's like, I'm sorry um, for everything, but I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm proud of you. And that's all I ever needed in my entire life. Like that right there, that was the closure I really needed. That just crushes me though. It's just like, you definitely deserve that sooner and you seeked it essentially until you found it, which was when he passed away. But again, you're just very inspiring to me in this moment. I just don't know how you went through all of that and then was a caretaker. But yeah, so after you felt the relief from the approval, how did you feel? Like, what did you do after that? You know, after that, like I said, I stayed with him. And like, I, when the time came, like I stayed awake the entire time because I knew it was coming um, when he was passing away. And I have finally fallen asleep. And like 30 minutes after I fell asleep, I woke up to the sound of him passing away. And essentially, I don't want to get into the details of it. But then the nurses, and they were like, it's time. And like, I know. I, I just felt it. And so when I was holding his hand, he was holding my hand back. And he's kind of like, you know, having a seizure kind of situation, to put it lightly. But I told him, it's okay, Dad. I love you. You can let go. And when I said that, he actually did let go. In a sense, like, his grief was softened, you know? So that for me, I think that was the most peaceful moment. Like that was my closure point too, is having that moment with him. It was the most peaceful, most sound moment. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like I didn't even cry. I, I just sat there in peace and they let me sit there in peace. So I think for me, that was kind of like my, I'm going to be okay in a sense. But I mean, I, I still had a lot of healing to do because I um, ended up in relationships after that that were abusive and yeah and I, I didn't know why I was attracting these types of people I didn't know I thought it was me I thought something was wrong with me I'm tracking tracking these kind of people and essentially kind of it was something to do with me I wasn't healed and I didn't know you know that I need to learn how to love myself first you know because I was looking for love in all the like wrong places so to speak but the worst of it came though I started dating this guy in 2015 and uh, he kind of like kind of latched onto me and love bombing. Like within two weeks, he was telling me he loved me and stuff, saying all the right things, you know. So I, and then within two months of being in the relationship, he didn't, he didn't like the fact that I lived so far away. So he moved me in with him and then like unlocked my phone was screaming at me because of like, old messages between a friend of mine and I that I almost dated like years prior. But he saw messages from a year prior and he like, he literally when I was asleep, I woke up to him screaming at me to get out because he and he told me he had learned like my, my passcode by watching me repeatedly unlock my phone, which is alarming. Yeah, red flag for sure. Yeah, but at that point, I had like left everything. I didn't have like, my own place anymore, so I'm stuck in this situation. I'm like, okay, and we, you know, when I calmed down, I was like, if you look at the dates, the date was from over a year ago. And I, if you know some the recent messages between my friend and I, like I was talking about you and how much I love you and stuff. And so finally he calmed down. It was like, again, like a calming of a beast. His eyes were just like my dad. He actually reminded me a lot of my father. And I think that's why I found comfort in him is because what it's what I knew. And it got worse from there. You know, any male friend of mine, he was insecure of and he'd freak out over and accuse me having bodies is the way he would call it. 
And I found out later, his girlfriend back on the East Coast, who he left there, he said they broke up when he moved out to L.A. She thought they were still together. So she's telling everyone that he's cheating on her with me. And then she's blowing up his phone, seeing so inappropriate pictures. And he's like, I don't know. She's just trying to get me back. And he went home for Christmas. And like, they ended up hooking up. And he lied to me about it, essentially. But he was like, I don't know. I'm confused. Like, pulling a tear off on me and making guilt tripping me and making me feel, you know, horrible. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to make you do anything. You need to figure this out on your own. And I'll let you go, you know, whatever you decide. Oh, that's always how it works. Like, he's insecure about your messages. In the meantime, he's cheating on you. It's like they project insecurities because they're doing the exact thing they're scared of you doing. Exactly. And it just progressively like and then when he came back like everything was good again whatever and then well I found out though when I was because I he got home before I did because I had gone home to see family and when he got home before I did he called me and he said oh my friend is trying to get me to hook up with his girlfriend's friend and da da da, da. she's all over me and like then leave like then leave and his like yeah and his friend's like well you already like hung out with your ex and you know so it's the same thing and, you know, just kind of like, I don't know, trying to see how, if I would justify it. And I'm like, um, just leave the situation. He goes, he's being so mad. I was like, he's putting you in a situation. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you, you know? But so he would do these things that would make me insecure. Like people weren't for me. Like, and he would say, people find me annoying. Nobody likes me. I'm the only person, you know, that's there for him and his mom. So because his mom became very attached too. And she would actually like flying monkey, you know, like the term flying monkey. She would like kind of feed more to the abuse too. He would make comments. Like I said, I'm mixed, but I'm, I'm very pale. <laughs> and he was just straight white. And he would make comments that, you know, you're too white for me. You're too pale for me. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Once again, making me insecure. Oh my gosh. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah. His mom would be like, oh, well, why don't you go get a tan then? You know? And he never worked. And so I was paying all the bills and working full time to support his dream. I was working in front of the camera before. And then I started working behind the camera and like production side during this time. And just so we could keep a roof over our heads, you know. And, you know, he would make comments about my weight and stuff like that. And she would go, oh, well, maybe you should work out more. I'm like, how am I supposed to work out more when I'm work- like working 14 hours a day? <laughs> you know what? Like, I have experienced that too. I had a fair share of bad relationships. But one of my ex's moms, like, would make sly comments to feed into his sly comments. And I just thought it was me. Like, something was wrong with me. But, yeah, I've never heard anyone say that either. So that just engaged a memory I forgot about. Oh, my gosh. I, we have lived parallel lives then. <laughs> I swear, I swear. This is like mind blowing. <laughs> but yeah, continue. I'm so sorry. Oh no, you're good. Um, yeah, so then like got me pregnant at one point. Well not one point, but he got me pregnant and he forced an abortion pill in my mouth. And this is when things like escalated. This was the first like he had thrown things at me before, but this is like the first disturbing, horrible thing he did. He put an abortion pill in my mouth though and held me down and told me if I had the baby that he would leave me and stuff. So if I loved him, I would do this. And he held me down. Then he left. He left me there, go film something. And I started bleeding out. And like, not like normal. Um, I ended up having to be secretly by a friend, secretly rushed to the ER. And they dropped me off. And I went in and they had to do an emergency DNC. And from the hormone fluctuations, I ended up having seizures. Like, 
aggressive seizures. I ended up in the ICU for a week and they didn't even know if I was going to make it. What? Oh my gosh, that is terrible. Yeah. And once you have seizures once, you're prone to have them forever. So have you? Moving from there, did you have seizures? Yeah, it got it got worse from there. He ended up getting me pregnant two more times, actually. And I, my body can't carry now pregnancies because of the hormones. And I would become, get super sick. Like it's called hypermissive gravidinum. And it's like you have all day sickness. Like I was already having that issue. So I was like losing weight, not gaining weight. And then I was having seizures. It was either I take my seizure medications and I kill the fetus or I don't and I kill both of us essentially. So I had to get emergency DNCs twice. And the last one, I ended up having a three minute seizure and I was pronounced dead for five minutes because of my heart stopped and everything. And it's all because, and my neurologist and I figured it out, it's from the, the abortion pill, essentially, the hormones in that messed with my system and my body. And it caused me to have this issue now. And if I never would have had that, I never would have went through this. And so the best case scenario is I ended up getting a partial hysterectomy to prevent any more scares or, you know, anything else because of that. But he actually filmed me in the ICU the first time too, pretending to be so compassionate and loving over me and everything like that. And it was all for show. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. I am like speechless right now. That was terrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. You know, I <laughs> think I would have loved, but, and I tried a couple of times too. Like I caught him cheating and like I tried kicking him out and then he would guilt trip and manipulate me. And he actually threatened to kill me at one point. And the first time he threatened to kill me, I was having anxiety attack, obviously, over the whole situation. Cause I found out later he was high on drugs and drunk at the same time. And he was abusing drugs behind my back and using my money to pay for it. And I found out later. So that was a whole other thing. <laughs> he had threatened my friends in my life because my friends can help me out because he said he was breaking up with me because I wouldn't go pick him up two hours away because he had a bus ride home, but he didn't want to wait for the bus. So he, because he went on like a road trip with his brother and I wouldn't go pick him up. So he essentially like broke up with me because I was being selfish in his mind for not dropping my photo shoot I was in at the time and going two hours away to get him. So he then threatened my friend. My friend came over to take me out to go like, you know, get a, like some, go to the winery and just like relax for a minute to try to decompress me. And he, you know, accused me of like being a slut and, you know, already going after a new guy and everything like that. I dressed like a slut. I was wearing a skirt, you know? And I'm sure he, you know, threatened to kill my friend and her husband and I. And like he was going to come when he came back, if we were all here, he's going to kill us all. My gosh. So this guy is out of his mind. Yeah. And this was back in 2015 after like the first, it was like a few months after the first pregnancy and everything. I had talked with my doctor. I thought I had anxiety. And so I took the medication he gave me and I took too many of them because it wasn't working. And my ex told him I was trying to kill myself. So he had me committed for three days and lied to him. And the doctor, when I got there, he's like, oh, she shouldn't be here. You need to come pick her up. And he goes, I'm not picking her up. She can wait the 72 hours. Like the doctor's like, she doesn't need to be here. And he goes, well, I'm not picking her up. She can wait the 72 hours. I'm coming in three days when I have too many things going on. And he had nothing going on. So he made me have to be the crazy ex-girlfriend to his friends. He was just that evil. Yeah, completely. Like they were making jokes and everything about him. Oh my gosh. So how long were you guys together this whole duration? At that point, it's only a year. 
that was all in one year? That was all, that first pregnancy and everything was in one year. The second and third pregnancies came after that. But that first year, all that had happened. And he he even told people he's living in the back of his truck, pretending he was living in the back of his truck, that we weren't together and he's living in the back of his truck and I was at the house and I want to let him home and stuff like that. Zuna's stuff. Like making up all these, and he was here every night. You know, we were back together. Like we were fine. So, so just tried portraying you as the, you know, he was the victim instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. He was like ditching me for his friends and like going to like parties and stuff and pretending to be single essentially, but coming home to me. And he even went home for Christmas and cheated on me again with the ex. And I stayed home that year. I didn't want to go home um, because last time I went home, my mom, like the dynamics were just, you know, your parent is a narcissist and your partner's a narcissist. They fight over who has power over you. Oh my gosh. That's like double toxicity. Yeah. So like I became like the Christmas before I became very sick being home because of the toxicity. So anyway, they, he went home, he cheated on me and he told me when he went home, he goes, he was so proud of me for, you know, being strong and staying home and alone this year. Like, just like, now that I think about it, at the time I was like, oh, he's proud of me. And, but then I realized, oh, he was isolating me, you know, and taking me away from my support unit. Yeah. So then after that, when he got back, I was pregnant again. He got me pregnant immediately. And his friend made comments. He didn't tell anyone that I was pregnant. I was never allowed to tell anyone I was pregnant. Only his mom and him and I were allowed to know because it was like a huge secret every time. I was ashamed over it, you know? And his friend made comments I was fat and like, they're making jokes about, because they didn't realize I was, him and I were back together either. They're like, oh yeah, I was, and his friend's like, I have a fit girlfriend, you know, and like making like not some fat cow, like why I'm sitting there. And I'm like, cool. Gosh, I hate him. I don't know him, but I hate him. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, so going through all of this, like how did you find your breaking point? Like what was a tipping point for you in leaving this situation? So that's the thing, like, um, in 2017, I had just lost my grandfather, who was like my father figure. I had just lost him and I came back from a work trip and I was only home for three days and we were supposed to go to brunch with some friends. They didn't like the way he was treating me and they confronted him and everyone was drunk. I got food poisoning, so I was in the bathroom, so I had no idea. And I came out and they were arguing with him, saying, you know, that he didn't treat me right. And he was like, you threw me under the bus. And I'm like, what's going on, you know? He felt like I had said that, and I hadn't said anything really. And they, he claimed that they said that I told them he choked me uh, against the wall, which I never did. Like I told him more one time, like he was blackout drunk and I asked him about his cheating and he held his hand over my mouth and my nose and my bed and pushed me down. And, and my dog, she jumped up and she nipped at him and he loved her. So then he kind of came out of it because he realized he pushed her away and he was worried about her, not me. He's like, well, I realized like she'll always choose you over me. I was like, yeah, she's my dog. <laughs> but anyway, um, so he like this had got elevated when I was in the bathroom and I came out to this situation he's trying to leave they're not letting him leave and then finally we leave and i was supposed to be driving because i was sober and he wasn't and like i'm talking belligerently drunk so he starts driving and screaming at me about this and then he starts cross-facing me like he punched me three times in the face and started slamming my head into the passenger window which any head trauma can cause me to have seizures and if i have a seizure um, I cannot wake up if I, especially if I, you know, get a concussion. So he did that. And then I turned at him and I screamed at him, stop. And when I looked at him, he headbutted me and he broke my nose at that point. And my nose just started gushing blood. And then he took brass knuckles out of the middle console and held them up to my face. And he says, you're lucky you're with me because anyone else would have killed you by now. And then he repeatedly hit me in the ribs 
with the brass knuckles and every hit literally went black. I thought this was it. I thought I was I was dying because like literally things were blacking out. And I'm just like, when I couldn't speak, I would say, just get me home my girl. Just get me home to my girl because my dog was at home. And not just that, my dog is also my seizure alert dog. Like she's in tune with me. And the reason I didn't have her with me is because my friends had a, a pit bull and we didn't know how they would, you know, react. Anyway, he's doing this and like he's yelling at me and he was wanting a reaction. And at first I was yelling back, but finally I just got silent and I just sat there. He goes, what, you're not going to say anything? You're not going to say anything? And like he ripped his shirt off like the Incredible Hulk and he screamed, I'm not white, I'm a real N-word. And like starts beating his chest like he's, you know a caveman and screaming at people as we're driving by at high speeds by the way and well first he drove by a cop and he's like f the police f the police and like he's screaming at people as we're driving by and he was like who wants to fight me who wants to fight me like he wanted to fight somebody and was he high at this point or drunk i believe he was on high on something when we at this point um he didn't tell me i would say so yeah like this behavior and i found out later too like usually he was high on cocaine when he was abusing me the worst wow that was my dad yeah, always on cocaine when abusing. Yeah, so it just seemed like it elevated his um, emotional instability. So he gets to our street and he, he almost hits a park car and he gets out in the middle of the street. Like he stops and he gets in the middle of the street screaming, who wants to fight me? Come at me. And I literally grabbed all my things and he had broke my shoes somehow. And I grabbed all my things and I just booked it barefoot to my door. And I have security cameras on my door and I had such a giant softball size goose egg on my forehead from him breaking my nose that you could see it from the camera from a distance. And I get inside and I'm in shock at this point you know? And I realized his wallet is in my purse. And so I get him a clean shirt and put his wallet on the kitchen counter. And then I lock myself in the bedroom and I said, there's a clean shirt in your wallet on the counter for you. And I texted him that. And he goes, oh, I'm going to get arrested. The police are after me. I hit, I hit some, you know, parked cars da, 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 and doing hit and runs, like some craziness. And later the officers told me, they're like, no, no, there was no reports that he was making that up. But, you know, he told me to cancel. We were supposed to take, I had bought him a sailboat and we were supposed to take his friends out on the sailboat the next day. And he texted to let them know. So I texted his friends like, hey, tomorrow's canceled. We'll explain later. And so his friends blowing me up. I texted my best friend who had got me into Al-Anon from the previous experience when he threatened to kill us. She had taken me to Al-Anon after that. And I thought it was for my mom and everything. But then I came to realize she could see what was going on with my relationship. And she just didn't want to say anything because she didn't didn't want to overstep, you know. But I texted her 911 in a picture of my face, and then she called me, and then her husband, who's also my best friend, like they're like my family for like the last 10 years out here. <laughs> but I texted he he called 911 while he was driving because they lived so far away that they were afraid they wouldn't make it to me in time. Like they were like 24 to 45 minutes depending on traffic away from me. And in LA traffic's the worst. But and it was a Friday night. And so she called 911. She called me and was talking to me to make sure that I didn't like have a seizure and black out because I definitely had a concussion and then he was on the phone with 911 anyway long story short so ended up like 911 came like my ex came back and I told him he had to leave but the ambulance was coming he wouldn't leave and right then the, the door knocked and I went out like and answered it and they're like you know is everything okay I was like oh I tripped on the steps I was still covering for him and I said I, I drank 
trying to imagine a trip on steps, which was not true. I was completely sober. And they're like, can you step outside? So they're assessing me. And like right then, my friend and her husband, they walk up. And I lost it when I saw her. And because she gave me like the nod, like, it's okay. Just tell them the truth. And I told them the truth. And then the cops went in there and they arrested him and everything. And he came out and he gave me the most death stare. I will never forget that stare. Like, you know, he wanted me dead. And I was like crying. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I'm apologizing to him for what he did to me. Like, <laughs> but you know, you're so trauma bonded at that point. Like, you know, so they put a restraining order on him. Like he went to jail and had like a $50,000 bond and his mom got it and got him out <laughs> the very next day. $50,000. $50,000. Yeah. Wow. And she just did it right away. Yeah. Well, she got a bail bond, I guess. But I mean, it was ridiculous though. Like she's a whole other story too. Like she steals money from her clients and everything. That, that's a whole other story. So how scared were you when he got out right away? I was pretty nervous and I was at a friend's house and he didn't know where they lived. A friend, like she was in a brand new place. So I was at her place. So those friends, they dropped me off with her because he knew where they lived. So they didn't want him to come, you know, there. So they dropped me off and then I gave his keys to my male friend, like my best friend's husband. And he met up with him in the keys and everything so he could get his truck and his stuff. Well, he ended up staying at the apartment and he wasn't supposed to be here because the restraining order was against the house too. He wasn't supposed to be here at all. And I kept telling his mom he can't be there and stuff. He can't be there. And she's like, well, just let him know when you're coming home. Then I was like, I, I can't, he can't be there. Like, you know, my friend protect me. She called and reported it and everything. Cause if I didn't report it and stuff, it could have like came back on me. Anyway, they kept us apart the entire time during court, which gave me a lot of time to actually like heal. I was still so trauma bonded by him because his mom was in my ear every day and she wasn't even supposed to be contacting me. And she was telling me, you know, if I tell the truth that he's going to go to jail and then he'll kill himself, it'll be all my fault. Oh my gosh, she's crazy. Who is this woman? <laughs> she is not not a good person. <laughs> so during court, you had essentially kind of a restriction order. Is that from my understanding? Like he could not be near you legally. Yeah. And like my birthday was in two weeks after the event too. And I was, we were supposed to go to Ireland together and he texted his mom to send it to me. And when he got out, he's like, oh, you know, like, I'm so sorry. I did this to you. Like, and he wasn't supposed to have contact with me even through a third party. And he's like admitting that he had done and everything. Cause he was trying to deny and say that it wasn't true. And anyway, continue on though. He was mad that I replaced his ticket with some friends and I went with friends. And so that was a whole thing too, like guilt trip. But he took care of my dog. Well, obviously you're not going to go with him. My gosh. Yeah. I let him take care of the dog so he could have that last moment with her when I was out of town. Yeah. Wow. Just insane. I mean, that story is just, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I'm like speechless right now. You have been through so much and I'm, I'm just so sorry you had to go through that. So after all of that and court is, I assume the case is closed now, right? Kind of. Yeah. Like, it went on from April to September of 2017 and he and his lawyer pushed it back to be the day he took the plea deal to be our anniversary date to hurt me worse of course so and then I found out that he was had been cheating because apparently like you know I wasn't allowed to date and I and I didn't want to date obviously I didn't want to be around any men but like and his mom's trauma bonded me that you know we just have to get through court and then we back together and da 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 and then he was going on dates the entire time she goes oh well, it was just a, it was just a dinner it was just a you know breakfast and I'm like he's going on dates and like you're telling 
telling me that we're going to, you know, it was just continue mind screwing with me. <laughs> of course. It's just a cycle of abuse and toxicity. Yeah. And when I started standing up for myself, she's like, oh, who's telling you to say that? I was like, this is me speaking. This is me speaking. <laughs> and she didn't like that. And she continued to harass me for months, even after the court date. And she was telling me that I need to stop telling everybody about everything. And I, I hadn't told anyone. The only people that knew were the people that were involved that night, you know? And finally, I spoke my truth like a year later I finally spoke up and I was like you know what this is what because people are like you're not posting about because I never post about relationships prior to that but with him he wanted me to post about him and he like you know it was almost like I was feeding him this attention like this love to him to make him love me as much as I loved him to prove my love to him you know so he would love me too but um yeah so people would like start noticing that so I finally had like you know publicly addressed like you know hey this is what happened this is my story whatever but he was stalking me and he has been continually stalking me since then even till today mm -hmm. coming to my workplace he created fake social media accounts to harass me he had a friend pop a hole in my tire so scary yeah but it let air just out just right and i have a top heavy car and so when i started driving the tire blew out and if i didn't know how to control it my car could roll because top heavy cars roll easily so luckily <sighs> so scary yeah but all these things literally tried breaking my house and things like that and the da well the city attorney because the da actually dismissed criminal charges and dropped it from a felony to misdemeanor so when he got whenever they um gave him the time and everything they only gave him 30 days in jail instead of prison time and he only served nine days in the mental ward because he's a prior felon which i didn't find that out until i was already trauma bonded in but he only served nine days in the mental ward because he knew how to play the system for all of that mm -hmm. yep and then i'm telling the city attorney sending, sending all the police reports every time something would happen i was in a police i would make a police report you have a paper trail and i'm telling the city attorney he goes oh it just seems like you're just trying to get him in trouble i'm like are you kidding hitting me <laughs> and he goes maybe you should move and you should delete your social media so he doesn't have access to you i was like why should i get rid of my support unit and why should i have to change my life because someone won't follow the law like he's not supposed to be in this area he's not supposed to be doing these things and you're telling me it's my fault because i have social media and because i haven't moved like victim shaming much and like and even my victim's advocate and she was in the room when he said that we're both like uh no <laughs> so like he kept ignoring everything and he goes well i don't want to like you know it's just he said she said at this point i'm like though there's actual proof i have like documentation like if you were to get a subpoena you could find out the ip address of these accounts you know everything and he even called me at one point he called me at 3 a.m and the probation violation hearing they're like oh well she took a screenshot of like how do we know that was a real call i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> like it's a screenshot of my phone screen from him calling me at three in the morning but finally, like in 2019, he posted on the anniversary, on the two-year anniversary of him trying to kill me, he posted a picture of himself lifting weights and he goes, you know who you are. We have unfinished business. I'm coming for you. And he made it public too because he wanted someone to see it. Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And we have mutual contacts still. And people that grew up with him, like they know how he is and they were telling me what he was doing because they want him to go away because they're afraid of him. And so anyway, he, uh, yeah, so that's when they finally took it serious, but it literally took a whole other year and a half to finally get a court date, not just because the system and his lawyer kept postponing it, but also they, uh, <laughs> this is the kicker, because COVID, they kept postponing everything. So our court date finally was like last year in September again, and I testified for four days. And you know what they did? They gave him another year of probation, another year of the restraining order, and that was it. Like, they found him guilty, but that's what they did. They even found him guilty of 
of trying to break into my home, which is another. And he also broke probation, got arrested for stealing during this time too. That's like prison worthy. And he got one year, just restraining order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the city attorney's like, oh, well, you know, you should just uh, reapply for the restraining order if you feel like you need to when it expires next year. That was his, like, literally what he said to me. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. This stuff makes me boil how messed up the legal system is. I just can't believe it. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and you know, and I, I learned another lesson after him too is I dated a cop after him who ended up being sexually abusive and stuff too. And... <laughs> Because I thought I was healed and I was not um, at that time. But yeah, and I thought he's a cop, so I'd be safe. And then he, you know, did his thing. And I didn't report him, but my friends did. Someone did anonymously. And we finally, after two years later, we finally had our court date this past April. And it wasn't even a court date. It was a disciplinary hearing because the DA dismissed the criminal charges, even with all the evidence they had, because they had text messages and everything. Like they dismissed the criminal charges and it was just a disciplinary hearing. And I had to testify again for three days. And they won't tell me the results of that because police officers have more rights than we do. And they're like, oh, he has privacy rights as an officer. So I can't tell you what was decided. I'm like, are you kidding me? So in the past five years, you've been through two very serious abusive legal cases. Yeah. And like people wonder why victims don't come forward or turn them in. Yeah. My gosh, my heart hurts for you. Like I wasn't going to turn the cop in because he had already used that power, you know, saying he's a cop. No one will blame me over him. And plus I was already still going through it with the previous ex that tried killing me. So I was like, the last thing I want to do is go through all this again, you know? Right. My gosh. I feel like you can't catch a break and it's, it's just breaking my heart. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I did have a, a really healthy relationship this past year. I was going to ask, give me some good news about <laughs> 2021 or recently. I hope that you have found healing. And I don't know if you have any words of advice on how you were coping after all of those situations. I can't even imagine. I truly can't. But yeah, if you have any advice for that. Therapy, number one, is the best thing you could ever do. But I think honestly, so I started a blog and I started blogging my journey of abuse, like with from day one, you know, with my parents and everything. And I think that right there, just having a voice again and actually speaking my truth, that for me was the most healing thing. Sharing my story and helping others by sharing my story. Like, and I found great peace at that. But I mean, I have had a healthy relationship, unfortunately it ended due to all the court and stuff and my emotions just being elevated and everything. But he was the kindest man ever and I still love him. He's a beautiful person. Oh, it's tough. Yeah, it is. But I think honestly, the fact that I was able to have a healthy relationship was such a, and to see what real healthy love is, was such a turnaround for me that it was an eye-opener that I, I deserve this. I, you know, I am able to have a healthy relationship and it's not me. Right, of course. And it's not you. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like my first healthy relationship really woke me up because when toxicity is all you know it's just hard to wrap your head around how it couldn't be all of that and all the pain and the arguing and abuse but it is possible and it's almost mind-blowing but sad yeah and I think that's been like a very healing point for me too, you know. But another thing I've been doing though is I'm so disappointed in our system right now that 
I'm trying to be proactive. I've been sharing my story and everything, but I'm trying to be more proactive in how to help fix the system too, so that other victims never have to go through what I went through. So I've been like, you know, working with um, some of our elected officials, trying to get new bills passed so we can get, I, my whole thing is I I think there should be a list. Like there's a, you know, sexual offender list and all that. There should be a domestic violence offender list. That's amazing. I totally agree. But then also one of the head de- district attorneys told me when, I was going through the court and everything like he was stepping in for the city attorney on my case he told me that the system is not made for victims that criminals have more rights than we do so I want to get a a victim's right bill passed as well so I've been trying to figure out how to get that done and you know contacting once again our elected officials and trying to get that going and everything like before Kamala got elected to vice president I was emailing with her office and everything but so I'm going to try to reach out again with her that's been my main focus that is amazing like I can't (laughs) I mean this is what I'm trying to do too just get more voices out there so we can change the legal system because you know growing up in my family situation it was just pointless to call the cops because the next day you know the abuser gets out and then you just start all over and I don't know it's just it's just ridiculous but that's amazing that you're making those steps and trying to change legislation it's huge and so yeah congrats I mean I haven't done anything quite yet so (laughs) thank you but still the effort it's amazing I just I feel like I need to be proactive if anything this whole journey has given me a new purpose and a new awakening to use my platform to help others like me and so that's been my main focus of doing because it's not just helping others, but I feel like it's a healing point for me because even if it didn't help my situation, it could help someone else's. Yes, yeah. And I think I'm, I'm an empath, so I naturally want to help others all the time. So <laughs> again, same. Yes, you are speaking my language, but I agree. And I despise, you know, the dark memories in the past, but I do truly believe like everything happens for a reason. And now I'm using all of those emotions and memories to help other people and using my platform to hopefully spread more awareness is the mission. But yeah, I totally agree with you. It's it's really hard, but it can also be a benefit and help you in return by helping other people. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that you're doing this, that you're doing this podcast and everything. Like, this is beautiful. Oh, thank you. And I love meeting up people like you. You're just blowing my mind how you've been through so much, but you're so, so sweet and just so open-minded and helpful towards other people. And I feel like people who are empaths or experience abuse, they are truly like the sweetest people and just the most relatable down to earth as well. But yeah, I just, I guess my question for you is, do you have any advice to people on forming healthy and happy relationships or you know what should they look out for as red flags to signal them that maybe that relationship isn't for them yes so first off learn to love yourself first I can't express that enough because you're going to accept the love that you think you deserve so if you show yourself love and you recognize that you deserve to be loved and you're showing yourself constant love and appreciation you're going to bring on someone that's going to see that and who's going to respect you in that same level and if someone who doesn't respect you you will see immediately like the red flags will be very apparent whenever you love yourself enough and i mean and i always say loneliness is a sign that we need ourselves more and so a lot of us we tend to think that we need someone to fill that void but in reality we need ourselves more during that time so i you know i treat myself i take myself to dinner movie go do things on my own travel alone like you know i have found comfort in my own 
company. So I think that's important. But red flags, like, I mean, when they say I love you within the first two weeks, run. <laughs> you know, when they don't want you to have friends or do things with your friends. Like the police officer, he used to like tell me I was like no girlfriend or wife of his was going to be out that late at night when I would go to my friend's birthday parties. And he tattooed my name on his wrist within three weeks of dating. Like that's a huge red flag, guys. <laughs> if they're constantly accusing you of cheating, it's usually them deflecting. Like every relationship, <laughs> they've always done that. And it's like, that's them. They're the ones cheating. But if you feel like addicted to this person, just learn that maybe that's a codependency going on and it's not healthy because like I've realized that if you feel so addicted to them where you think that you can't go on without them and everything that that's that's trauma bonding and it's not normal. I mean, it's okay to like love someone and to want to be with them and everything that, but you should also be comfortable being alone too and doing your own thing and not having to be with them 24/7. I completely agree. Yeah, that's amazing. I really love your point of, you know, just loving yourself and being okay with yourself and I definitely struggle with that. I feel like like after you're with, you know, a trauma bond or an abusive situation, all you want to do is just be around people to fulfill you because that's all you know. And I feel like also the trauma really haunts you when you're alone. So it can be a battle getting used to it. And being alone brings out obviously panic attacks, anxiety, depression. So how did you figure out how to be alone and fight those feelings and then become okay with yourself? Did it come with time or did you have something specific that you did? I mean, I still struggle with it every once in a while. I'm not gonna lie. And especially because I've been on for two years, I had a lot of downtime alone. But I think honestly, too, that was kind of a moment where God, higher power, whatever you believe, was like, you need to take a time out and focus on your healing right now. Because I was diving into work so much to like quiet the noise in my head from the abuse, so to speak, to not focus on the pain. And I think allowing myself to be present in my emotions. And, you know, whenever I'm having flashback or anything like that, I allow myself to take a mo moment, feel it, but then I also will be like, I will ground myself. I'll remind myself, okay, I'm touching the table right now. I'm touching my dog. And I say things out loud to ground myself so the anxiety doesn't take over me, which can be hard sometimes. But I have to remind myself that that is no longer my reality and that I am okay. And it's going to be okay. Those are great tips. It, it can be overwhelming. Like, I mean, whew. and the insomnia from PTSD is another story. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I suffer from insomnia too. You are my twin, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and we're over here giggling about it. People are probably like, oh my gosh. Yeah, like you're, why are you laughing about like having trauma? But if you've never been through, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's just coping, guys. It's just coping. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those are amazing words and I truly am inspired by you right now. Like you've been through so much and you clearly know how to handle yourself and be at peace with yourself. It's not all the time, obviously. It's a constant everyday struggle. From what I talk to other people and myself, I can attest to that. It's never easy and it's especially hard to be that way when you're around people who have never experienced it and don't understand the feelings. Um, and it's not their fault. It's just like, that's life. Like you have to be strong because because not everyone's going to understand you and sometimes you will have to be on your own and cope with yourself. But yeah, I just think that your story is so amazing, tough and hard to listen to, but I really, really am inspired you and I can't say it enough. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I love this conversation, but I have to um, wrap us up on a question because we're going over time a little, but if you could offer... Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I truly love this conversation and I'm sorry, <laughs> but... If you could offer a young Kelsey some advice on navigating life, what would it be? I would say love yourself, but also don't listen to what they say. It gets better. I probably would tell her too, don't make your life circulate around men and what they want you to do. Like you continue to do what you want because I'm guilty of stopping my career for men and doing, and I'm, I will never do that again. So I think I would just remind her, you know, be true to herself and love herself and make herself a priority. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you, Kelsey. I truly want to thank you for coming on the podcast and spreading awareness to those who aren't educated on domestic abuse and also helping people who are currently in those situations. You have no idea how many messages I get after every episode. So I would love to share with you if I get any messages resonating with your episode after this. And I appreciate you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say too, if people need help or anything, reach out. They're not alone and I will do everything I can to help. Definitely. Yeah. There's no reason to be ashamed, but again, I appreciate you and I am wishing the best for you and I hope we stay in contact moving forward. Definitely. Definitely. And I appreciate you and thank you for so much again for having me. This has been a pleasure. Of course. Thank you, Kelsey.